0: Kim Schmidt, Managing Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to this episode of Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps podcast series. In this episode, brought to you by Iron Solutions, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC talks with Drew Lesnick of Frontier Ag Solutions, a 10-store John Deere dealer based out of Conrad, Montana. If this is your first time tuning in, I encourage you to subscribe via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. By subscribing, you are alerted when each upcoming episode is released, putting a world of content onto the phone in your pocket, whenever and wherever you want to listen to it. And just a quick reminder to plan to attend the upcoming Precision Farming Dealer Summit January 8th through 9th in Louisville. The theme of this dealer-only event is Bridging the Precision Profitability Gap and will feature a mix of general sessions, panel presentations, and roundtable discussions. Space is limited and you can visit PrecisionFarmingDealerSummit.com for more information and updates. Before we turn things over to Casey and Drew, a quick word from Iron Solutions, who's making this podcast a reality. Iron Solutions provides dealers with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. Their Iron Search and Iron Guides are all about managing your dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today.
1: On this episode, I'm joined with Drew Lesnick from Frontline Ag in Conrad, Montana. Drew, thanks for being on my podcast. You bet. Uh, before we get started, I always like to get a little background on on uh, the guy I'm talking to and, and the dealership he's working with. So tell me a little bit about, about Drew and, and Frontline Ag. Well, yeah, of course.
2: Uh, Frontline Ag Solutions was uh, was actually formed just two years ago uh, when Frontline Ag and Moody Implement merged. Uh owners of both companies are still involved in our day-to-day but uh, you know now working as a as a con- combined group there uh, prior to that Moody Implement had been around since the 1930s uh, owned by the Moody family uh, they had six locations at the time of the merger frontline AG was uh, formed in the 2000s and uh, had been kind of consolidating formerly single store locations uh, and at the time we had four locations so uh, now we're Combined and, and cover a good swath through uh,
1: the central part of Montana Okay, so looking at your local market. What do you see out there? What do you see happening? Um, are you seeing? Some more maybe on-farm auctions that may have taken place More taking place now than you've seen in the past is is uh, is that auction market a uh, Something that that you're competing with or is it is it really not a big deal in your area?
2: You know, for us, we haven't seen a whole lot of local farm auctions with late model equipment. Uh, most of the auctions that do happen feature, I guess, I would say, small lines of uh, of aged equipment. Um, the few auctions that have occurred, they've had some of that later model stuff. Uh, kind of, you know they they can be they can be both for you. They, you know, you can use them. Uh, when you're when you're negotiating telling guys that we're providing them more value than than they're getting at some of these auctions but uh, a lot of the times they throw it back at you and uh, remind you that uh, they could have bought that one at the other auction type thing but um, at this point I think you know when we do see those it can remind us um, what the true cost of ownership on some of those might need to be and uh, we can account for that in our valuation of equipment so that we're uh, we're still the the preferred method of uh, equipment purchase in our area so
1: yeah so what do you see kind of moving forward through the end of the year looking at looking that out through the end of end of 2017 what do you see as some struggles some opportunities and stuff like that for for frontline
2: yeah um you know just uh I guess on, on like the the auction front, and in, in terms of what we're seeing there, you know, I, I think us and most Montana dealers, we kind of will continue to use the auctions as a as a tool to move some of that smaller and lower valued pieces of equipment. Um, you know, I, I think that that's kind of still our preferred method, uh, or, or uh, I guess preferred pieces to go on there. Um, in terms of just overall, what are some of our Short term, you know, other things just in the market. Um, I think the the segments that we've got the biggest uh, headache with right now is kind of our Draper combine headers. Uh, as I mentioned, we've got more guys going in some of these pulse crops and uh, some of that, so we've got guys wanting to purchase flex heads. But uh, we're still trying to find the market to get rid of those Draper heads that we already had in stock that we took on trade with that machine. Um, so that's that's probably our biggest issue as we finish off 2017 right now
1: yeah that's a trend line that i'm noticing too when you start looking at at just the rigid draper head that they're coming in on trade even some of the auger flex heads and stuff like that we see those yeah. guys bringing those in on trade they're wanting to trade it for a, a flex draper of some kind whether it's a deer a, a Macdon, or whatever it might be but i think they're kind of realizing that with the way the heads have kind of evolved over time that they can lock those things up rigid and they have a, they have a pretty good head and they can yep. cut multiple crops with one head instead of having to have three different heads laying around to cut specific crops with each head yep yeah it's uh
2: as mentioned kind of permeating into our market right now as well yeah it's an issue that we're going to have to find a solution for but i don't know what it is
1: yeah it's going to be a tough one i think that's it's just going to be a tough market to to uh to keep kind of going down and, and looking how that, that's gonna play out through, not only through the end of the year, but looking into next year and how we start evaluating those pieces of equipment. Leasing equipment, that seems to be a hot topic every time I have a conversation with a, with anyone from a dealership. How is, is leasing becoming a bigger part of your business than it's been in the past?
2: Uh, yeah, I think uh, for sure it's, it's become a, a selling tool um, that we use a lot more. Uh, if nothing else, it's definitely a marketing tool. Um, we put it out there a lot of the times in our advertisements, you know, putting out there the, the price per hour type of thing to get that conversation started. You know, sometimes guys will still opt for a, a, a normal usage of those. So, um, I would say that we've increased uh, the sales in a few, but you know, maybe, maybe more so it'd be just maintaining our sales in a number of segments. Um, for us, it's largely in our mechanical fronts four-wheel drives and combines that we really push that. It seems to be the best market for us to to do those.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what we're seeing too. Um, that cost per hour conversation, or, or the, the payment conversation is a, uh, it's an easier one to have when you start talking with leasing, because it seems to me we're, we've kind of passed the features and benefits on a lot of stuff, especially some of this older stuff. We're really concentrating on selling a uh customer I and mean, we're trying to sell that payment to that customer and the whole dynamic that he has with his banker and the situation he's in and so on and so forth um, it is a uh it's a lot a lot tougher than it used to be when you start talking about you know the cash flow scenario yeah okay so
2: which I think uh I guess. You know one thing that I see with that though is you know as you mentioned it it helps them solve that cash flow requirement Uh, but I think we may end up uh, as these guys start trading back a lot of our guys are used to seeing equity in their machines and um, a lot of the guys are you know the the way they want that first payment set up we're using their equity and and they're coming down to the end with uh, you know fairly minimal amounts. Uh, It may end up being a bit of a sticking point with them when they do come back to trade. just that that equity cycle there, and, and knowing whether they've whether they've got it or not, and, and how that sets up. So, I guess our guys, anyways, are, are used to that equity. So I'm I'm wondering how that'll hit when they come back on those leases. So.
1: Yeah, that and that's a good that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Is is the equity situation on equipment because it seems like there is not as much equity and equipment that people think there is after when you actually sit down and start evaluating it and start looking at how you're going to book those units and how you're going to place them in the marketplace and and for us when we had that conversation there are the the ramifications with the uh, you know the various tax codes and everything and how that how that all falls in there you can really kind of set a guy up for some pretty big surprise if you're not careful and using that equity like you said using equity to to kind of position that stuff so i think we're going to look at um i think it's going to help this leasing thing will kind of help sell some stuff uh down the road a little bit but i kind of think maybe leasing is going to be more of a a standard practice maybe moving forward with uh, the the generation that's dealing with stuff now and and looking at how they can leverage that machinery to uh You know to go out and and um, use that that cash they would use on a payment or the equity or whatever that you want to call it um and they can buy other things with it. you know they can have a cheaper payment on their machine and and use that free that capital up to go out and purchase whatever it is feed or ground or whatever it might be
2: yeah i yeah, and I would agree I think we've already seen guys shorten in their hold period on equipment as well, you know i mean they're we're seeing more frequent trades. Um, you know, we've always seen that on say the new guys, but I think we're seeing it on those guys that are buying the, the, the used machines as well. Now they're coming back and, and trading more frequently. So,
1: yeah, helps the stuff turn, helps the stuff turn quite a bit. So are you, the stuff that you're looking at leasing, are you leasing more new than used or, or just crying across the board?
2: I'd say across the board. Um, but I, would almost, Maybe give it an edge to uh, to the used, um, just because on the new side, I think a lot of the times maybe we have some some roll programs uh, as we call them, you know, already set up where we've where where they do they take them on a on a finance note, but there's kind of a predetermined trade difference set up, um, so they've already got some of those benefits of a lease without being on a lease. Um, yeah. So that's been more of a selling tactic that we've used on the used.
1: Yeah. Has your power guard uh, uptake, has it increased over the uh, last year or so compared to what it's been? Uh,
2: uh, You know, I don't know that it has just with the increase in cost. I think, uh, you know, that kind of hurt a little bit there. But, you know, as as you do try to cover those machines on leases, you you make sure those are getting there. But um, I'd just say as an overall, I don't know that our power guard uptake has increased because of the cost.
1: It did take a pretty good jump. Okay, so kind of rolling into a, a few EOPs now um, that we've got out there, and it looks like uh, you know sprayers and planters and stuff are going right now. But I would I would guess that planters probably aren't as big a deal up where you're at, just because of the crop mix that you grow. Right right
2: yeah we don't we don't have many of those. The ones that we do are uh, generally aged pretty well. They're the ones that you guys are done with and uh, think are ready for the scrap pile <laughs>
1: yeah yeah that's that's uh that's we get a lot of those from uh from our guys, but we haven't traded as many planners as we've had in the past, so hopefully this year will be different. I think there could be some opportunities there but but looking at okay. your sprayer market how's that uh how's that shaping up for you?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously John Deere came out with a number of uh, product uh, improvements there. You know, we've got lots of guys that are interested in in those uh, upgrades. You know, the bigger booms, carbon fibers, the exact apply. I haven't necessarily seen it leading into the sales yet. You know, I think guys are still chewing on those prices and and trying to make sure that uh, they're getting the value, but um, generated a lot of... A lot of interest come into the EOP, but uh, really need to kind of see where that falls. And you know, guys, guys are still a little bit cautious with uh, grain prices and, and some of that, and you know, potential drought type thing. They're they're all still kind of closed on their wallet there. So we're we gotta let it play out here for a little bit. But uh, it did do a good job of getting guys in the door and talking about them.
1: Yeah, yeah, we've had a we've had a pretty good. Uh, we're quoting a lot of sprayers right now. Uh, we're a CAD dealer so we have you know our our ASP's and stuff are, are really looking at the uh, at the new the new sprayers and really have some some pretty excited things are they're, they're looking at especially with the carbon fiber and the weight issue and all that kind of stuff and especially with now they can get out to 120 feet there it's just it's just a big deal that they can get out there now and and especially on some of these smaller units and spray some more stuff than they had in the past but our used market seems like our R series sprayer seems like we can, we can sell those used ones, especially the ones that have a few hours on them where, where the price is down. You guys seeing something similar up your way?
2: Yeah. You know, you mentioned, uh, the, the CAD dealer type thing and, uh, we, we just got approved for that, which I think will diff definitely help us on the used side. Um, just because, you know, some of those, some of those used ones that you get back in, you might be into them a little better, um, coming off those, uh, CAD, uh, ASPs, um, where we didn't have that before, you know, I think some of ours still end up um, maybe a little higher price than than guys were looking. Uh, but but we've seen good good sales on them. But uh, hopefully, again, be improving that with the uh, with the introduction of uh, with our CAD dealer uh, approval there. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think what we're seeing the benefit of that is on those thousand hour, fifteen hundred hour machines that we get that come back. The prices are down enough. You know they're down in the two hundred thousand dollar range, two hundred thirty-five thousand dollar range, and and guys are seeing that and they can step up and get a a, a fairly new sprayer with some good technology. That it's not going to cost them three hundred fifty thousand bucks to do that. Uh.
0: Get back to Casey and Drew in a moment, but first a quick word from the company who made this podcast possible, Iron Solutions. Iron Solutions has deep roots in the ag industry with products for producers, dealers, manufacturers, ag retailers, and service providers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com to see solutions that streamline your operations, improve productivity, reduce costs, and speed your growth. Casey and Drew started their conversation talking about the used equipment market in Montana and how leasing may become the new standard to free up capital for other farm purchases. Let's get back to the program now and hear more about the high horsepower row crop tractor market and the hay market out in Montana and how Frontier Act Solutions' used equipment process works.
1: Okay, so high horsepower row crop tractors you know so we're talking um, that's probably a big deal for you guys up there grain carts and those kind of things and and pulling air seeders and those kind of stuff how's that market looking for you where's the sweet spot you think in in that used marketplace
2: yeah you know uh, this spring uh, we were kind of a little worried coming in we had uh, I would say quite a few four-wheel drives as well as uh, quite a few air seeders as you mentioned uh, and for whatever reason, those really took off this spring, and, and we were kind of wondering if we had enough, uh, enough of those as we got to it. But, uh, you know, we, we really saw uh, strong demand for, say, that three- to five-year-old uh, R-9560 uh, t- tractor, um, as you mentioned, with a PTO and, and for us, that high-flow hydraulics. You know, we re- really had a good uh, spring on those. Um, the units that we had that maybe weren't as spec'd, uh, you know, without a PTO, you know, a little smaller horsepower. We still had a little, uh, a few extra of those, just as uh, you know, producers in general went larger and larger as they're getting bigger drills and stuff. Um, but we've we've really started to get a good secondary market on that, you know, and guys are interested, and and we've been ordering quite a few of the uh, the four tracks. I uh, got a number of those coming in this this summer, so um we've been we've been pleasantly surprised with where that four-wheel drive market uh, has gone since the turn of the year uh we've even you know kind of started to see you know maybe an uptick in those used values i would say potential so
1: yeah Yeah, it seems like we have our uh our four-wheel drive marketplace too we're in that kind of the similar situation in our southern part of our area where there's a lot of wheat and canola they get planted down there and so we're you know 50-foot air drills and and uh, you know I think we even have a couple 45-foot box drills and those kind of things down there where guys are doing that and and um, the horsepower requirements are, are creeping up every year it seems like and and um, we're getting to the point where more and more guys are ordering PTOS on their four-wheel drives than we've ever had in the past so that's going to be uh, it's kind of going to I think the PTO on a four-wheel drive has almost become a a standard option in a lot of places it seems like that's that's becoming a, a kind of a almost a must-have as grain carts have gotten bigger and and all those things where pto driven implements are, are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and requiring more and more horsepower that uh, pto is getting to be a bigger and bigger deal on the four-wheel drive tractor
2: yep yeah you know definitely there and uh like i mentioned for our guys you know with the introduction of the newer air cart and you know just everything uh you know we really like that uh high flow hydraulic pump as uh, one of those that you know the, the pto at least you can kind of put on aftermarket if you really had to it's going to cost you quite a bit but that high flow pump uh really one that we we look for anytime that we're doing any you know buying on those making sure it has that because our, our hydraulic requirements are really gone up
1: as well yeah that's that's another thing too is the uh the hydraulic capacity on, on these implements anymore, whether it's a planer or a, or an air seeder or whatever it is, they require so much more hydraulics than they've had in the past. So it's going to be – uh, it's that's almost a must, too, to have that on there as well. Yep. So moving into uh, the hay market and the cattle market. So right now you're taking a look at, especially in your area with the drought, the way it is to the east of you, how is that cattle market affecting um, – What's happening, and with your with your customers?
2: Yeah, you know uh, it's kind of mixed. As as you mentioned, there, there's some negative things in the market there with just potential drought and uh, and hay and and pasture uh, conditions type of thing. Um, but there's also been a little optimism uh, here in the last month with uh, the the Chinese beef export ban being, you know, I guess officially lifted uh, to some extent, and and some higher calf contracts uh, being offered out there. Um, but you know, that, that still is some, some fairly, uh, uh, I think the cattle guys are are, are a lot better at closing down their wallets and, and making sure to kind of, you know, make things or make sure things are in the, in the bin before they do anything. So we've been, we've been a little bit tight in there. Um, you know, I'd say our bailers have been an average selling season in our AOR just because we have still had some pretty good, uh, Hay crops, uh, you know, with the early you know early uh, wet season and stuff, Um, but we've we've definitely maybe tightened down a little bit on our used balers and our values there. Just uh, we've seen that with just the you know we were going to do that before anyways, but with the large number of new balers that we as well as other manufacturers have put in the market, we've been seeing that secondary uh, customer need need to be priced a little bit lower there. you know and and then the other piece there that's really been hitting us the uh, is the wind rowers uh i would say we had a a tough start to our wind rower season um largely due to the availability of our units uh, uh the bulk of our stock w-235s that we had coming in um we probably didn't get them on the ground until a lot of guys already had their first cut and already laying on the ground so um made it tough for us obviously guys are already into their season already using their old machine but uh We've got out there and had had a few success uh, stories and selling a few of those um, but we still face some pretty strong competitive pressure um, in our area lots of them from New Holland uh, especially on that rotary cutter so um, not uh, not all great but at the same point we've been we've been getting out there and doing them and uh, hasn't been Hasn't been falling uh, near as much as if we were, say, further east there. So.
1: Right. So, how, how's the uh, actual hay market been for you guys? I mean, there's a lot of stuff going easters. Or is, there, is that still too soon to really have much effect on it because of the drought?
2: Yeah, I don't think we've seen, you know, seen any hay going that way yet. <laughs> you know, I'm sure there will be. Uh, just you know, they're they're not going to have any type of thing, but uh, we, we haven't seen any sales going that way yet. I haven't really heard a whole lot in terms of prices, um, you know, guys, you know, coming over yet and already offering high prices or anything like that. But uh, I, I'm sure it will end up being uh, being a, a source for our guys to get some of their hay marketed, but they're also going to be, a lot of our guys aren't producing a lot of extra, you know, they're doing it for themselves and, and have just what they need for their, their operation. But uh, the guys that do have something to sell might be able to get a little bit of an opportunity
1: there. Yeah, yeah. So when you were talking earlier, just before, a little bit ago, you're talking about the the windrow pressure that you're feeling from New Holland. What do you think that pressure is, and, and is it a is it a is it a machine <clears throat> thing or is it a price thing, or what? What do you feel like that pressure is coming from?
2: Yeah, I mean, we still think that our machine outperforms theirs, especially when you have it all GPSed up and you're, you know, out there cutting uh, with auto track. I mean, ours, ours still beats them pretty, pretty hands down. We think, but uh, you know, price is a strong motivator, and uh, they, they still beat us pretty handily there. It seems, um, you know, John Deere is doing a good job of getting us some discounts, uh, you know, with with the New Holland uh, mention, if you will. At the same point, um, we're we're still going to be priced priced above them. Um, you know, the I guess the the good thing for us is our used market. You know, if we're taking a trade, you know, taking a you know specifically like a John Deere, you know, trade R 90, 95 something like that. Um, we still have pretty good buyers for those. So if we can if we can get them there, we can maybe uh, be priced a little bit higher on the trade than our competition would be, but uh, we're we're still still getting beat on price, but we we feel that if we can get them in the field and try a W two thirty five, we're able to seal that deal more often than not. Yeah, and
1: that's that's why I think the high point is for the for the windrower market is yeah our windrower is more expensive than than the uh, the competitions, but look at I think if you look at what when you trade them and you bring them in and what their trade the trade values are worth uh, comparative to the to the new one that they're going to buy, I feel like the John Deere Used value is is significantly stronger than than anything else is yep yeah we uh,
2: we continue to provide that value anyways, and uh, like I said we we keep having the buyers, so we're we're going to keep doing it
1: yeah yep, yeah. okay, so kind of looking at a at a macro level here, kind of outside your AOR kind of looking across the United States and coming through the end of 2017, what do you think are some some positive and negative factors that are going to influence the marketplace?
2: uh you know I guess it's still fairly micro and you're just kind of talking about but I think you know that increased market for beef uh, is gonna help you know producers and a whole if we can especially start getting in there with with any volume um, if not right now it's producing uh, optimism hopefully it produces some actual exports here pretty quick and we can do that um, you know we we have seen some improving small grain prices uh, so that that's helping us uh, and a lot of our guys um, this last year we actually had a a large cut in our barley contracts uh, but with that a lot of guys went into these pulse crops um, you know that still guaranteed uh, some contract prices and, and if they can get them through harvest here I think a lot of our guys are still gonna be uh, doing pretty good from a from a farm um, profitability standpoint there um, you know I think that'll definitely help them um, the negative factor there you know, we we've maybe worked out of it, uh, but you know, we still have a large amount of late model equipment just in the in the industry. I think so. Um, trying to make sure that we're properly valuing that used stuff uh, can still be a negative factor. Making sure that we're not uh, overvaluing that stuff and getting back into a bad cycle there.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's what I. I think I'll probably echo a lot of things you just said there, but I think that the Chinese beef thing to me is is going to be a a big catalyst, kind of moving forward for the cattle market and, and what that looks like. If that does really kind of start taking off and start getting some traction and taking off and going, that's a big, that's a huge marketplace, and that's going to dump a lot of uh, a lot of our beef over there. and And I think that was, that's great. for Any chance that we can that we can do stuff like that? The uh, the late model equipment thing, you know, looking at just the late model equipment, I think there's going to be some, some positives there because you're going to be able, there's just not as much of it out there. So you, you will get some of a somewhat of a premium for that stuff, but also you have to be logical about what you're doing. Um, but there's still, there's still a lot of equipment out there and, and lease returns that are, that are kind of looming out there uh, through different, different areas that are, that are holding those. So you kind of, I feel like we have another, couple of years of of kind of stagnant marketplace um when you look at when you start looking at values because there's a, so much 12 13 14s out there that that are still kind of having a, a an effect on a relative effect on what happens with the, the 15s the 16s the 17s and soon to be 18s yep so
0: yeah,
2: yeah. we're definitely focusing more on that day uh, you know that that price per hour thing in terms of on our side, you know, and, and where we're making sure that that's a, that's got consistent uh, depreciation schedule to it. And uh, just making sure we're understanding where, where those things are, are headed type thing and, and what that hold period is and, and what the value will do in that hold period and some of that.
1: So. Yeah. So when you take a look at, I just, I like asking this question. So how does your use equipment process work?
2: Well, uh, you know, and I think I kind of skipped over it at the beginning there, but uh, you know, what what's changed with our business, you know, since we merged, you know, is, is greatly changed. Uh, and when we first kind of came together, it, it really seemed like it was, you know, two organizations, maybe even ten separate locations, all acting independently. Um, last fall, we went through a through a process to to help uh, align that, and uh, with that, we. We hired our our director of sales, who was already with us, uh, Matt Strong. He's kind of overseeing that and making sure that's uh, now unified, as well as put my position uh, into a little bit more formal there with director of remarketing. So that we're running all values, uh, all trade evaluations uh, consistently through here. Um, so that that was a big change last year. Getting that so that we've got. The guy really working the front side on, on uh, the, the new sales, got me on the backside uh, providing consistent trade values for everybody across the, the whole organization, um, getting those in and then uh, you know watching our, our, our values a lot more and our hold periods there and making sure that that turn rate is, is increasing.
1: so yep, very similar to how we do it too. We have we have uh, nine stores down here. And you know, all, there's with there's exceptions to some things that the stores do at the at the at the store level. You know, there's a few things that they take care of, but pretty much large and small ag stuff, I would take a look at all that and and uh, kind of research the marketplace and try to figure out where the, where the where it's headed and where it's at, and hopefully I I picked right. And about nine months from now, I'll, I'll know if I did it or not. And that's that's the. Uh, that's the one hard part about this gig is that, whatever decision you make now, you know, you've got nine months to a year before you realize if you're right or not.
2: Yeah, yeah, that can always be a challenge.
1: Yeah. So, all right, man. Well, Drew, I feel like we've got a pretty good feel for for who you are and what Frontline Nag is. And before we uh, check out, man, you got any words of wisdom you'd like to pass on to the to the uh, interwebs and?
2: oh uh i guess uh you know like i say we live pretty simple up here in montana so uh we just uh we just keep uh keep turning the wheels and, and see what grows
1: yeah montana is my one of my favorite states that's really, a beautiful place and there's uh still has that that rustic feel to it you betcha okay man well drew i appreciate it and um if there's uh Anything that ever comes up that I can help you with, make you know, feel free to give me a call, and I look forward to talking to you down the road, man.
0: Thanks, Casey and Drew. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this hosted podcast by Casey Seymour, we're also tapping into his expertise across all our informational channels, including an Ask the Expert feature on our website, where you can ask him your questions directly. Check it out at farm-equipment.com backslash expert. You can also catch extended podcasts from KC and the Moving Iron Podcast available on SoundCloud. Thanks once again to Iron Solutions for sponsoring this series. Iron Solutions provides dealers like you with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. The Iron Search and Iron Guide suite of solutions is all about managing each dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your used equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. We hope you'll tune in with us next time when Casey sits down with AgWest Supplied. For Casey, Drew, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.